it was really interesting because there were moments in it where I look back at certain parts of my life when I was younger. It was such an affirming thing to do because it was so rare that I looked back at those moments in such a kind of like open way to myself. So I was talking about certain women that I had been with or I was interested in. But instead of like in my head being like, oh, do you remember that person? I was writing down the experience and it was vividly bringing it back. And it just brought back all these like vivid feelings as well. And it was like I had like kept it in so deep that as I wrote it, it just kind of started coming out of me more and more. You are listening to Made of Human, also known as the Mopad, a podcast hosted by Sophie Hagen, who is a Danish comedian. Mopad. Trying to find out Mopad. how to do life. Mopad. But it turns out. I'm going to just quickly apologize for the background noises. It is a mix of my dog drinking water like he's never had it before. He, The way he drinks, he has a lot of flesh around his nose and mouth. And he will just put his entire head into the bowl of water and just sort of go... And then hope that water enters uh, his throat. It sound, it's very loud. If you could hear that, I do apologize also, I think my upstairs neighbors are doing some kind of Irish dance of some sort. And uh, third of all, that is that this one's my fault. There is a roast in the oven because I will be celebrating is a big word. Spending Christmas on my own due to I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, this global pandemic. So I am practicing making Christmas food. Oh, hello. <laughs> Again, if you can hear anything, that was my dog sniffing my crutch um so that's that now i am excited to bring to you this episode with sharon daliwal she is this incredibly inspiring intelligent hilarious queer southeast asian woman who runs and has founded, okay, listen, she has founded, developed, and she now runs it, the UK's leading South Asian magazine, Burned Ruti, which is a platform for young creatives to showcase their talent, find safe spaces, and destigmatize topics around mental health and sexuality, amongst others. I mean, a dream. She is a dream. She's a... Um, there's a word for it, but it's French and I can't pronounce it. So I'm just going to try. Entrepreneur? Mm, that's embarrassing, isn't it? But that is what she is. And um, I was so excited to, to speak to her. It's one of those things where I followed her on social media for a while and began to feel almost creepy doing it. So I, I simply had to get her on and uh, talk to her about her coming out story, about stigma, about her mental health, which is super fascinating. So I will let you listen to this episode. Um, not, it's not going to be the last time I speak to her on this podcast, that's for sure. Please uh, do enjoy this conversation with Sharon Daliwal. For people who might not know who you are, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Sharon Daliwal. I'm the editor of Burnt Ruti magazine, which is a South Asian opinion magazine. I used to say lifestyle magazine, but I don't know what the word lifestyle means. Um, 
and I also am the director of Middlesex Pride, which will be happening next year. Um, and I'm also the creator of Oh Queer Keep It, a queer speed dating and comedy night. Um, I'm also a writer and journalist. And where are we meeting you right now? In your headspace, in your life, in your day, in what, where are you right now? You know, what would make, what's different right now than if we had had this chat in an hour or tomorrow or in a week? Where are you right now? Right now, I'm in, I'm in a bit more clarity than I was, let's say, yesterday or a couple of days ago. Um, I'm getting to that stage um, in my life of, I guess, kind of like dealing with things a bit better. Um, mm -hmm. So like my mental health was really bad before and it, it started probably around March time. Well, what a coincidence around the time that... Lockdown first happened. Um, so, like, yeah, I think it took a while, but I'm finally getting to a stage where I think I have a lot more clarity. I'm, I'm giving myself a lot more space to be kind of, I guess, to be present in the sense of, you know, being all over the place and also being kind of, like, at peace as well. Like, you know, so I'm kind of in a, yeah, I'm, I'm on that kind of, I guess I'm on the wall tipping towards having more clarity and peace. So what's the interesting place? I like it. No, I like it. It's a perfect place to be. What? So when you say that your mental health hasn't been ideal, is that how does that manifest itself? Is it anxiety, sadness? It's a yeah. So I have anxiety. I have a depression uh, and insomnia and eating disorders. Right. And so it kind of like. Uh, my anxiety kind of just lives in my life. But when that gets really bad um, and when things happen in my life that kind of I have no control over, then my depression kicks in. But then my insomnia and sleep paralysis and stuff kind of kick in and then my eating disorders kick in. So it all kind of just like is a domino effect. Um, so it was kind of all of those things kind of just like rushed in all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. um, and then like coming out of that kind of, I guess, trauma that was created around it and recovering from that is just such a long process. Um, especially when at first you're you're not really sure you can or there's any real technique to be able to come out of something because uh, you just go oh, okay this is it then cool yeah I'm just going to suffer forever um, but like I guess it, it does take a while it does it takes a long time and you do suffer you go through loads of shit but you kind of have to you know sleep paralysis is that the one where you are awake but you think you're asleep is that that scary one yeah <gasps> Oh, it's no. horrible it's so horrible oh my god so like you're paralyzed you kind of like half wake up you're kind of still in a dream but the thing that I guess it's like some kind of thing that attacks you in in this kind of state that you're in so it's not like that dream that you're having kind of enters your room it's a fucking demon or something enters your room um and most of the time it's something that comes up and just crawls onto my bed towards oh, me oh no and then I'm like trying to scream or talk to like wake up and it's that kind of like paralyzed like ugh, and then eventually I wake up um but that's horrendous it's that I haven't horrendous. had sleep paralysis in like a month or so though so oh God. horrific so are you are you in therapy do you speak to someone about all of this I am in and out of therapy so I can't afford therapy um as a freelancer many people would know the story uh I was on the NHS wait list for three years and then I gave up three um years. I think they forgot about me um 
So okay. I just, when I can afford it, there is this therapist that I go to. We have kind of an understanding where I'm just like, look, I, I, I can only afford a certain amount of things when stuff gets paid. Um, and so I, I go to her when, when I can, but I'm not in regular therapy. No. Did you get any tools from her then to sort of handle it when it gets really bad? Well, what's really interesting is I think I've kind of made the toolkit myself growing up. Oh, yeah. um, because like I've had a lot of trauma from childhood and then like coming into like puberty and then going through life and as adult, and especially as a South Asian woman and then a queer South and out queer South Asian woman, there were loads of things that I needed to like create for myself, like a toolkit to create. And I didn't have access to any kind of like therapy or anything like that from, uh, from my childhood, especially because like um, mental health issues are really stigmatized in South Asian cultures. So like, you know, if if you say you know oh, I feel really depressed they they're like oh there's something wrong with you you know mm. so they're like you know there's a, a brain doctor isn't a proper doctor kind of thing um they're just like oh cheer up you'll be fine we'll marry you off it'll be fine um so I didn't really have anything and so I created my own toolkit but also because of that because of that stigmatization I didn't go into therapy for a very very long time so I'm 36 now my first therapy session was when I was 35 Oh, because was that because you'd internalized it or did you, were you, was it about, did you not think that it was a, a right, the right thing to do or did you, were you afraid that people would know about it and then not think? No, like do? I, I knew therapy was great. Like I genuinely, I'm that kind of person that's like everyone go to therapy and I never went. Um, I think it's because I had convinced myself that I didn't need to. I convinced myself that my stuff wasn't that bad. I think you that's know. so normal. That's so yeah. normal, isn't it, to think, well, there's always someone worse off than me, but... Exactly. You wouldn't say like, that oh, about, I, a, you know, a broken I, I can deal with it. Yeah. It's fine, I can deal with it. <laughs> I think that I can deal with my own issues. Like, if I could deal with my own issues, I wouldn't have sleep paralysis. Like, <laughs> I'd be able to have a good night's sleep. I mean, um, but like, yeah, I convinced myself for ages that, you know, one, I can deal with it on my own. It's fine. Like, you know... Like, I'm a realist. I, I understand, like, you know, how the world works. I can figure it out. And then, two, I was like, well, my problems aren't that bad. So when you, you talk about your childhood, do you remember how, do you remember the first time you found a way, you found a tool for the toolbox? You know what's really interesting? I don't remember a lot of my childhood. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a sign of severe trauma. Yeah. Because you weren't so, that present. Yeah. My therapist, when I first went to her and I had a conversation with her about that, she was like, oh, okay, we have a lot to talk about. And I was like, yep. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I genuinely, like, there's very little I, I do remember. And the things I do remember are positive things, you know, like um, I remember getting my Sega Mega Drive for the first time. I remember playing that Robocop game for like hours on end. Uh, I remember learning Bollywood dances and Michael Jackson dances and things like that. I don't remember any of the trauma or like how I dealt with it. I, I remember all my panic attacks though from a young age. Um, and then like being hospitalized loads, going to like having loads of brain scans and blood tests and stuff, people trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Um, but then there was no resolution to it. So like, I remember that. I just don't remember any kind of resolution or anything that came out of it. So did, the, did you get brain scans because you had anxiety attacks? So I, I used to have, like, when I was super young, I used to have, like, severe panic attacks where I thought um, I was on the borderline of um, sanity and insanity. Like, I didn't, wow. I was, I thought that, like, I was on a tipping edge. 
And it was a really strange kind of like, it was a strange experience because I can explain it really well, but I can't put myself back in that position. So like, it was this really weird thing where like everything suddenly went like far away, perspective changed, everything was far away. Uh, There was this like sound, a distant sound of like a drum beat, but like really distant. Everything would have a plastic folding feel to it. It's such a weird thing to say, but like a folding plastic feel. Um, And then there would be like a voice, again, distant as well. But I I, I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I knew they were talking about me. And then that would like cripple me and I wouldn't be able to talk or move or do anything. And then like people would have to come into the room, turn on all the lights, the radio, the TV um, to bring me back. And like that, that used to happen to me like at least three times a week when I was a child. Um, And it would happen uh, at nighttime every time. So was that the trauma or was that, did that happen because of the trauma? It happened because of the trauma and there was no way I was dealing with it. So it was manifesting in that way. Wow. Do you want to talk about what the trauma is or is that too, you don't have to answer anything you want to answer? I would love to if I knew what it was. You don't, you don't know. There's a big chunk of my memory missing. So you know that there was something and you know yeah. you had a reaction to it, but you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So there's a massive part of my childhood missing, um, which my therapist is like, when I do go, is like, you know, we really need to dismantle this and like figure it out and let, let's talk things through. And it's so hard when you don't even know where to start, you know? And then you're also so scared to uncover something as well. Yeah, because there's know? a reason like, you do don't I, remember. I open that door? Yeah, yeah, your brain knows that this is probably not the best thing to look into right now. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I haven't a clue. Well, I mean, mm. I must know, but like, it's not something that I acknowledge. Wow. Because that must be difficult to deal with then if you can't go back and say this happened because of that or you're safe now if you never know what the fear was in the in the first place but like I think I live in a lot of ignorance I mean I must do right well it feels like you you've had the 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 bad thing happen and now you now you're still protecting yourself against that thing but Mm. you don't know what it is you're protecting yourself from yeah so what what kind of protection am I creating if I don't know what it's for like it's quite interesting because you would think that it would make me quite a kind of like insular person or kind of a bit kind of I I don't know a bit scared of being open but I'm the complete opposite I'm completely open and transparent about my life where I can be you know with with things I remember I, I talk about everything I love talking about myself so I talk about everything to do with my life all the time uh with no limitations and I thought that like you know when I did start talking to my therapist about that 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 would instigate some kind of feeling in me to keep hidden, but it didn't. It's really fascinating how like your mind and your body reacts to trauma and the way that you deal with things, because there's an expectation, but you know, you can't really expect anything. You know, you you never, you can never guess how your mind's going to deal with something. No, it's always got just that extra thing on you. (laughs) You're like, Oh, well done brain. It's like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a dream that's a bit too real. And you're like, oh, wow, that was clever that you brought this to my attention in that way. Fair enough. <laughs> well done. Yeah, All right, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember dreaming uh, when I was a teenager. I dreamt, I dreamt that I shouted at my dad, um, you're not my real dad. <laughs> and then I woke up like, oh, okay. Yeah, I think I know what the, the issue is. 
this week. It's almost a cliche, a cliche dream. Wow, love it. You do talk, you do talk about yourself quite a lot, which is super, um, I was about to say empowering, but that's such a ugh word, but that word it is. It's, strange it's, now, isn't it? it's, yeah, I know it's, but it's, I mean, I love it. I love being open and hearing people being open about, I guess being open about yourself is in the current, current climate basically means that you also share the bad things, right? Because a lot of people are being very open, but because of the internet and Instagram and all of this, people are less inclined to show all the bad sides, but that's where you don't really care. Yeah, I don't know if I, that's the thing. Like, do I have any shame? (laughs) I don't know if I don't care. I just, I think I just like, I just like, I, maybe it's because I would have liked to hear those things, you know, before. I would have liked to have someone say, you know, things are really messy right now. And so I haven't eaten in three days or moved, like I'm paralyzed by depression. And I would have been like, oh, wow. Okay. So that's definitely a thing. Right. Okay. Interesting. I I think maybe it's because of that. It's also attention, quite frankly. I love attention. Um, And I think it's got a lot to do with the work I do. So, you know, when I'm working with like, um, like minority groups and I'm talking about struggles and things like, it's not fair for me to do that and keep myself hidden. You know, um, I don't want to be someone that talks about sexuality and mental health and not be able to talk about mine. Uh, and it opens the doors for everyone else, you know? And so like, for example, when I came out, I came out in an article in my magazine, I kind of just pressed publish and ran away. Um, but because I did that, then it created that safe space and burnt Ritchie for other people to feel kind of welcomed there. You know, and if I, I don't think if I had done that, Burnt Ritchie would have been as queer friendly or felt as queer friendly as it is now. And I think like putting myself out there helps other people put themselves out there when you are like, you know, part of a platform. Definitely. And I really, I really want to talk about your coming out story because it's so different to what most people would, would guess a coming out story was. But first I want to ask about when people then react to your openness because I do the same thing of being very, very open. And most of the ways that people reply annoy me because people are so not used to seeing someone saying the things this, so they think it's a, an extreme cry for help and that they now have to say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be sad. Don't be sad. Yeah. But I'm like, no, no, it's fine. This is just like a human feeling that I'm just telling you about. Like I know what's happening and then I can get a bit, you know, checking my DMS and people are, you know, call the Samaritans like no 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 this is not what this is (laughs) do you have the same sort of yeah I have I have people uh message me saying things like life isn't that bad cheer up you'll be fine um or like you tweeted something about being lonely I hope you're okay and like it's like everyone's lonely let chill out um well the way I respond now is I just send a love heart it's just one big love heart that goes around (laughs) my dms to everyone it's just easier blanket love up for you all um because like it is that effort that people have put in to reach out you know and i mean i they are annoying because <laughs> yeah i mean god bless them they are annoying though because you aren't looking for that you're not there you're not saying that so that they could go in your dms and respond to you in that way but they have reached out to you so i send a i send a love heart to be like you know you have been like your message has been recognized 
recognized and thank you for it but it doesn't have any impact on my mental health at all um it kind of if if it was something to do with like my magazine and someone was sending a message being if i was like oh i'm having real issues with the next uh the next print publication and i'm feeling really crap about it and then someone sends me a dm being like is there any way we can help and then, then i'd be like yes like help me uh, but when it's due with my mental health, that's, that's, you know, I'm putting it out there for everyone to hear and listen to, but that's my thing that I'm dealing with, you know? But also you, you said you have the toolbox and you've had the toolbox since you were very, people who are traumatized from childhood, like we're professionally traumatized. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, we've got this, you know, even if we don't actually have it, we, we still do better than someone who has not been in our brains our entire lives. And a lot yeah. of that I think must be defensiveness. Or some type of shield of going, oh, listen, back off, I'm fine, I got this, don't you dare. You know, a bit of that, you know, some of them could, maybe it would be good to have a one-on-one a -on -one conversation with someone, but I'm not about to let you in. Like, I've I've not even cried in front of my therapist. I'm not going to yeah. lie to a stranger and be like, yeah, you know what, it's been really hard since my dad left 35 years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's kind of a bit like, you know, Some people think I'm a stranger. I have no kind of like placement in your life. You can speak to me openly. And I'm like, well, that's what a therapist is kind of for, you know, that's kind of where, where I go when I, when I need that. Um, I also have trust issues. So when it comes out to someone reaching out to me to ask me specific details, I'm kind of like, mm, what are you going to do with these details? Um, I like being open and transparent, but there's a limit. Like I won't then to give you names. I won't give you kind of like detailed information about certain things that like, you know, could either put me or other people in harm. Um, and I think people are looking for that. I think a lot of it's to do with, uh, I don't know, like interest and gossip as well. Sometimes. Oh, yeah. I, that could be my trust issues. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I, I mean, I've often seen your stories and thought, oh, I want the gossip. <laughs> I want to know everything. And it annoys me that I'm not the type of person who would go, oh, could you just tell me exactly what <laughs> I've had? To, I've done it with friends before where I've gone, I am so sorry, but you're hinting at something in your stories. And I must, I must know. But you also have to acknowledge mm -hmm. that that's what you're doing. <laughs> A lot in my stories. You what? Sorry. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. When I when I do that in my stories, where I hint to something like, oh, sorry, did you hear that? Yeah, uh, yeah. Now you're back. Oh. I think you're back. Now you were just gone for a bit. Am I back? Oh, I think okay. You're back now. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so when I do that in my stories, when I put out something that hints to something, it's because I'm like reaching out to everyone, being like, something's up. <laughs> something's just gone down and like my friends will contact me and be like okay details right now you know and then I just copy and paste the message to all my friends you know yeah. uh, but a lot of the time again it's it's to kind of be open and transparent about different stages of my life as well because now I because of Ben Ruti because of everything I do people are kind of aware of me You know, and I don't want to be like, oh, I, I run this magazine and I do all work and everything's great because it isn't, you know, and your personal life will affect your business and any organization you run. So like Burn Ruddy was meant to let out a magazine ages ago and it hasn't yet because my mental health has been a disaster, you know. And so if people are aware of that, when I'm just like, hey, haven't moved in five days, then people are just like, all right, fair enough. We'll, we'll wait for the issue to come out. That's fine. Um, but like, yeah. 
I think I know what you're uh, talking about, about certain Instagram stories. I'm going to email you. Details. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Please just, just send me all the screenshots is all I want. <laughs> so my screenshot you... folder is my favorite folder. Oh, it's so good. I mean, I'm just also because it's 2020, there's a lockdown. I am, I'm not even ashamed to be this obsessed with gossip. I don't even feel bad. Oh, you just disappeared again. Oh, didn't my you? connection went. But now you're back. I'm back. Are you back? Is it back. My connection, because it's meant to be good. I mean, I feel the same way about mine. It's meant to be good, but is it? No one knows. <laughs> so, when when did you come out in an article? Uh, uh, it was two, no, three years. Oh, two, two and a half years ago. Okay. Like what? Okay, well, first, there was, there was, I feel like there are three moments. There's the moment you started writing. There's the moment you pressed submit. And then there's the moment after when you sort of realized that you'd done it. <laughs> what, take us through those three moments. So the moment I started writing it, I kind of felt I was at the stage where I was doing so much in my life where I felt kind of proud of myself in many ways. Um, one of my issues was coming out, which I was really happy with. Um, I had a really great group of friends. I just felt kind of healthy, you know? Um, but there was something missing. There was something that I hadn't dealt with. And so I wanted to create this kind of like healthier environment for myself so that I could like celebrate everything authentically. Um, so when that, my next issue comes out, then I could just be like, okay, this is something, this is, you know, I'm happy. Um, so I decided that would come out in an article, uh, because I, I, I had the privilege of having platform, quite frankly, and not many people have that. Um, I didn't talk to anyone about it before doing it. So as I started writing, I almost started writing it as a diary entry, uh, like I kind of imagined myself as like 16 year old me being like Dear diary kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started typing it out and then like, it was really interesting because there were moments in it where I, I look back at certain parts of like my life when I was younger and it was just, it was such an affirming thing to do because it was so rare that I looked back at those moments in such a kind of like open way to myself so I was talking about certain women that I had been with or I was interested in, but instead of like in my head being like, oh, do you remember that person? I was writing down the experience and it was vividly bringing it back. And it just brought back all these like vivid feelings as well. And it was like I had like kept it in so deep that as I wrote it, it just kind of started coming out of me more and more. It was just so fun. And as I was writing, I wrote it in like 10 minutes. It was over so quickly. I was just like typing like this. Um, and then I, I finished writing it and I was just like, cool, okay, this is done. I didn't even like edit it or check it. I was like, I'm not reading over this. <laughs> like I've just done it. All the adrenaline is there. Like I've done it. Um, and then I was hovering over the publish button about 20 minutes or so. Uh, and I was just sitting there just thinking, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it out there. I haven't told friends. I haven't told family. Um, I'm just going to do it. And it took me, it took me about 20 minutes to hit the button because I think there was, despite that kind of adrenaline and that kind of feeling of like, I don't know, just like 
it just felt pure like despite that there was still something holding me back and obviously you know coming out is huge (laughs) and I was taking it as some kind of diary entry that I was just going to lock away but no it was going to be put out in public so I eventually hit publish I then instantly closed my laptop I put it under the sofa I then got five blankets and just covered myself in blankets and just sat there for ages I don't know how long it was it was a really long time that I just sat there and in my head I kept going over all the different scenarios that will come out of me doing this like publishing this essay I would I had the strangest little stories that came up in my head um and then however long I was sitting there I'm not sure but then eventually I was just like Sharon just stop it get up I I grabbed my laptop I opened it and it was full of love like all the messages all the dms everything was just beautiful people were just like I'm so glad you wrote this like you know so happy for you congratulations all of that stuff um and then there were loads and loads of messages from people as well that were like I am also a South Asian queer person and I haven't felt like I could come out because I didn't know if it felt kind of if it was okay you know and there were loads of people that kind of lived in the areas that I lived in which were like heavy immigrant areas uh that were like we just don't feel safe coming out in these areas and I was like that's probably why I came out at at this age in my 30s um and it just felt that much better because it wasn't just I was coming out and I was like affirming my life to myself. I had made an impact on like a few people's lives and it just felt amazing. And it just suddenly went from, you know, everything's about me to um, I, I've done something interesting here because now I have opened doors for some people to have conversations. But I've opened the door for Ben Ruddy as well to have a conversation with these people and to have a, a, like a, a stance on it as well. Uh, so it was it was invigorating, you know. I was on, I was running on that adrenaline for a very long time, for a very long time. I was very sweaty. <laughs> what was your relationship with your bisexuality before you started writing it? Was it something you've always been aware of as like this is part of who I am, or had it just been more sort of hidden away a bit? So yeah, it's really interesting because I think when I was like quite young. I had, in my head, I had assumed that, like, everyone's fair game, I think. Do you know what I mean? Not in a, like, I'm going to sleep with everyone. But, like, I could be with anyone. Like, I remember watching Bram Stoker's Dracula, (laughs) specifically this one film. Um, And, obviously, I was like, oh, Keanu, because, babe. But those three vampire women... Oh, I lost my mind. Um, but like also, I, I didn't sit there going, oh, this is like, I shouldn't be thinking like this. I would be like, I am super turned on, you know. Um, and I didn't I didn't consider that like, you know, and I think it was because I was quite young and we had never in my life had any conversations about sexuality within my family or friend group or in education or anywhere. Nowhere in my head was I like, this is wrong. In my head, I was just like, this is a thing, you know? So I never kind of lived with it in, when I was younger, I never really lived with it in a kind of like something I should hide way. But I was never really, I guess I was so young that I wasn't kind of talking that much about, you know, being into things or whatever. But as I got slightly older and I got into my like late teens, um, there was a lot of homophobia around me. Um, That was like either within family or outside of family, like, the word lesbian was used as a slur in my house 
regularly, you know. Um, <laughs> I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers with my friends because my mum was just like nervous about it. And I'm like, you noted something in me a long time ago. <laughs> like, I think those kind of things held me back from being kind of like open about it in, in, a, in a way that allowed me to act on it, you know? Uh, but I did have what I would call hidden experiences with certain women. Um, and again, it was kind of things as you know oh you're just experimenting with a girl or whatever um but when I look back it wasn't I was just really into those girls you know I just really wanted to do stuff with them do you remember the the moment it became a word because like I remember for me realizing that I was bisexual wasn't as much realizing that I was bisexual it was realizing that oh not everyone feels this way I thought I was straight, but obviously I also want to marry and kiss with girls. But that must be what it's like being straight. And it was, so for me, it was more about realizing that everyone else were different. (laughs) Mine wasn't the norm, but the word bisexual hadn't even existed in my brain until people started properly talking about it. I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, well that is me. But are you saying you don't feel that way? You're so weird. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I think I had the same thing as well, where I was just like, I didn't, I didn't know that that word kind of was a thing. Or I I guess when I knew of the word, I wasn't sure if it was my thing. Again, it was one of those, maybe it's a similar way that I dealt with trauma. Maybe I was just like, you know, oh, it doesn't concern me. You know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm not that person. I, I don't fit in that. I don't fit in anything. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, and then like, I think eventually I realize that kind of I am bisexual. Even though now I'm like, I wouldn't even fuck with cis men, to be honest, because like they're just a mess. But like, you know, I still say bisexual. Um, I, I, I tend to use the word queer quite a lot. Um, yeah. But I know that there's like, uh, there's a lot of historic harm that comes with it. So I tried to stick with bisexual or pansexual or try and stick with any kind of terminology that feels safe at the time. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, Technically, I think I would just fuck with anyone. You know, it doesn't really bother me about, you know, what they look like or anything like that. I think I think terminology has tried to restrict me in certain ways. Like, I think it's good that I found terminology and I found groups of people mm. and I found these kind of understanding. I learned more. I, my knowledge grew an amazing amount. Mm. Um, but I also sometimes find like, the word bisexual restricts me as well in a certain way um or like doesn't define me exactly maybe and I think that's because like it's a a large term you know everyone is an individual person with individual feelings and go through different stages in their life like it doesn't mean it doesn't yeah you know I don't know well what I wanted to ask is I was gonna say rather than it being a big thing I would say it's a small thing Mm. Uh, because if I in my head, if I combine that that you just said with the fact that you started this, um, what's it called? Oh, queer Cupid. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, sort of uh, speed dating ish queer night. I wonder if you feel the same way as me, where I find it, I find it strange, not in a judgy way, but I find it strange that people can 
say that they want a certain gender but not another gender in the same way as I find it strange that people want a certain body type over another body type or a certain hair color over another hair color. I don't relate. I can't relate to the feeling of wanting some, like knowing that you want to be with someone just by looking at them. Yeah. For, for me, if you take everyone I've ever fancied, everyone I've ever been with, anyone who's ever been a romantic or sexual interest, they have nothing in common other yeah. than they probably all have the same sort of energy or mm. chemistry or something. But I couldn't say, mm-hmm. oh, clearly they have to have a beard or whatever. And <laughs> I wonder, because I've heard you talk about dating apps and speed dating and stuff and, well, dating apps mainly. And how how would I know just by... Having a I can't chat. stand it. I, I have to delete them. I, I, I download them in a moment of kind of, you know, wanting some kind of approval from people. And I, I go through it for like three minutes and then I delete it again. And I'm like, this is pointless. I, don't, I know nothing about you from these photos and these couple of words that you've written down. You could be anyone or anything. And this is not showing me a thing. And being in lockdown, like, how else am I supposed to? Not that I can like get off with anyone right now, but like. Even have a conversation with someone. You can still get their approval. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. It's short-lived. <laughs> so, does that relate to the feeling of I, the, the idea of having a type is sort mm. of odd? Yeah, so I get this sometimes as well. So, like, I've either been with or dated, or, no, I've been entrusted in or been with in, in a row three people who seem quite similar in the Mm. way that they look right and so one of my friends said to me you have you have a type and I was like oh do I and then what do they say oh I can't remember exactly what they said but they were basically like they described this type and it was kind of describing these three people I'd been with in a row and I was just like just because I've been with three people in a row that seem quite similar, it doesn't mean that that's my type. Like, are you kidding me? Like, have you looked at my history? Line them all up and then tell me what my type is. Like, it was it was so shocking for me that people would look at that and consider that and then just say that as well to me. I find it so weird. I, like, like, I don't have a type. It. My type is if someone likes me. <laughs> <laughs> my type is uh, attention and it's about me. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> but like, be interested, but not too much. Like, like me, but you don't really know me. So you have to acknowledge you don't know me, but also you have to love me unconditionally. But also, if you love me, you're weird. Why would you love me? I'm broken. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of my type. So something in that area. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you seem like you're a person who does things. You know, you want to start this magazine, which I, I want to hear you talk about. Uh, and you did it and then you wanted a speed dating night for queer people and you did it and you decided to come out within 30 minutes you did it like how that feels like a rare trait in in someone just doing it yeah yeah I think so I think I think it can be a rare trait I think I'm stubborn as hell um when I get told I can't do something I get angry about it um and I'm like Really? Because I just did it. Um, I think it's also because uh, I've kind of been told from like, a, from I guess from childhood until now still to this day that um, I'm not the kind of person to do 
these things you know mm. you know as like uh, a woman um a woman of color or a queer woman you know you you aren't designed for these roles or to be this person um and so I kind of hate that. I hate that shit. Like it's it's the for example, magazine Burnt Ruddy. The reason it's called Burnt Ruddy is because my initial reaction to being told to make the perfect Ruddy by my mum was a form of activism. I would instantly burn them and be like, Oh, looks like I can't make the perfect Ruddy. Oh no, you won't be able to get me married off, you know. And I would then be told to just sit down and shut up then and Ruddies will be made for me. And it was one of those things, like I've always been like what do you mean I can't do that? Or what do you mean I have to do that? You know, and I'm quite stubborn about it as well. So if someone says, I don't know, like, uh, Sharon, you shouldn't be writing about being queer or whatever. I would instantly straight away pitch an article about being queer as soon as I receive that message, because I think it's no one should be told that they should be told like that they should be, um, put into a box. You know, I, I shouldn't be told that because I'm a queer woman of color, that I can't do certain things, you know, and and as especially as like a South Asian woman, you're told whether it's consciously or unconsciously that you only exist to marry someone and have children and to carry on the lineage, and that's it. Like that's genuinely the only reason that you exist, and then to be subservient to your husband. And I'm like, firstly, husband, like, mm. um, and then also, no, like, I, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to cook for myself. I'm going to take care of myself. If there's some extras, someone else can have some extras, you know, leftovers, whatever. But I have always been self-sufficient. And I think that also is part of my toolkit, like being self-sufficient. That's something I've had to learn and I've had to teach myself um, because when dealing with trauma and mental health issues when I had nowhere to go for it because I was told that you shouldn't have it and you shouldn't have to deal with it um it's not an actual thing I've had to learn how to deal with it myself and so I think off the back of that I learned how to survive myself in everything I do and so when like things come in and out of my life I'm like yeah cool but I'm still the person that has all of this stuff that started all of this stuff and then continue to do stuff so what are you like with asking for help? Actually, not that bad. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Because one of the things, that is because, that's recent, to be fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first started Burnt Ruddy, I started it as my own thing, as if it was my own baby, and no one else should get involved, and don't you dare touch it, and like that kind of shit. And then I was like, cool, but I only have a small skill set. There's only so much that I can actually achieve and accomplish from what I know from my expertise. I'm no accountant. I don't know marketing. I don't know like a bunch of stuff that like would help with things that I, that I've created to help with them progress. So I had to come out of my own ego and be like, look, there's only so much you can do, Sharon, ask other people. But then also one of the biggest things with Bernard D is it taught me a lot about, not taught me. Um, I was very aware. Um, it kind of, brought to light my privilege and so as a light-skinned north indian punjabi i was like oh there's only so many conversations i can have about south asians i'm not all of south asia am i uh so i had to open those doors and be like okay sit down learn read listen and welcome those conversations in as well so i would spend a lot of time collaborating with people um and being like okay I have a campaign idea, but you do it because you're within that marginalized group and I'm not. Um, and so I've had to like 
step away. And that has been really, really beneficial, not just to my mental health because I stopped laying everything on myself, but it also is beneficial to the kind of like evolution of all of the work I do, all of the activism, all of the organizations I run. It's if you, if I stop centering myself and making it about me, then it reaches everyone. If it was just about me, then it would just reach me, you know? So, um, I have then I had, yeah, it's been a recent thing. I've moved away from being so insular and just being like, it's all me. I'm going to deal with everything. I'm going to sort it out um, to, I can have all these other people involved and it isn't, it isn't like people are getting involved and they're taking away my idea or they're taking away something that I created. They're making it amazing and bigger, you know, and more profound. So I've kind of, gone to that stage of my work you're, st- you're still creating tools for the toolkit yeah that's never ending you will never stop creating tools for your toolkit because there'll be new things that come along then you'll have to create new tools for them and some tools get changed into different things you know so yeah yeah so, new toolkits so all of these um uh fear scenarios you had in your head about what could happen of bad things uh both from, you know, from coming out and in general, all these anxiety thoughts. Did something bad come from it? Or was it all love and positivity? Did you get a backlash? Uh, no, I think there was like issues with family. So like there was like extended family and then my mom's reaction was just, uh, it was it was kind of interesting because like I published the article and then I kind of sat there sitting by my phone just being like oh my god she's she's not gonna read it someone she knows is gonna read it and send it to her because she has like spies out there um so I was just like oh god it's gonna happen and then eventually I think it was three days later she calls me and I'm like okay I'm ready I take the phone call and she's like talking about my nephew the whole time and I was just like okay yeah interesting and then she eventually says oh my friend was reading your website she calls it my website my friend was reading your website and there's something on there about like gay goo something gay and I was just like oh cool this is a this is a fun conversation um and then I I yeah I started to describe to her like you know I tried to describe bisexuality to her uh that's near impossible for someone like my mom who was already incredibly close-minded and then she was just like is that why your last relationship ended and I was like, no, it was genuinely because he was just boring as fuck. Like, <laughs> no. um, and she was like, you just sound confused. Tell me when you're not. And I was like, no, this is the opposite, actually. <laughs> this is the opposite, I'm confused. Um, and then it went through loads of different stages of that. And she did cut me out for a while. Um, and then it was actually in May on my birthday this year that she sent me a basket of like fruits and shit in it and a little card saying, you know, um, I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I reacted. Um, I, she said, what did she say? I'm sorry for the way I reacted. It wasn't, it wasn't right for me to do that. I would never want to change you and all of that stuff. Oh, I wept Yeah, <laughs> the whole morning of my birthday weeping, but like my mom has never apologized for anything ever, like ever. So I was just like, Oh shit. Um, so that kind of like, brought me back into her life again things started like to get a bit better but I th- think in her head she's like oh it's a 50 50 chance 
<laughs> it's only 50% bad. <laughs> yeah. So in her head, she's like, oh, you never know. She might marry like a, a Punjabi doctor who's a guy. Like, And I'm like, yeah, we'll see, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a very small margin of how this could go well for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's clinging on to that, bless her. Um, but yeah, so like that was quite kind of weird and difficult to deal with. And then there was also kind of like the what came from her was like, how will everyone else react to this? What will they say? You know, what if someone sends it to like your granddad or to this person or that person? And I was like, mm, they'll be fine. I think they'll be okay. Like they're not going to have like any kind of like heart attacks over this article. They don't care about me enough. Like, genuinely, they have their own lives, their own worries. Like it, it won't bother them. But in my mom's head, it would destroy everything, you know? No one cares. Do you think that uh, this is, uh, I shouldn't have started the sentence, but I'm going to say it anyways. I feel like I just have this vivid memory of my grandparents sitting in their house in that teeny tiny village, looking out the window all day. And then whenever someone walks past, they'd go, oh, oh, is that the, is that the butcher's daughter? What, why is she home now? I thought she had knitting on Tuesday. <laughs> and I would... I remember my mom talking about it and she was so furious about it. Can't they just mind their own business? And it's only until recently I thought it must be like their social media. It's like this gossip of like, oh, did you see the butcher's daughter when they went out? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I don't know. This is something so, it almost like it goes together with narrow-mindedness or like this idea of the, that's, that's their gossip is their closest, the, the, the near community, the closest people to them. Where Absolutely. for us, it's like, oh, we both follow this person. Do you know Do you know who they're talking about? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, so it is, it is gossip for them. But like also the gossip isn't going to harm them. Mm. If anything, it's entertaining. Like let them have that gossip. They have nothing to do today. Now they have something to talk about. Like we should be happy. You're giving them a present. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you the last question, which is a shame because I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> and then afterwards I'll ask you, Fun extra questions for the Patreon. Okay. First, <clears throat> the final question that I always ask on the podcast. So you're in the delivery room and you have just been born, but you now are also in the delivery room. So you are holding yourself as a baby and teeny tiny Sharon is crying, right? She was just in the womb and it was all lovely and dark and comforting. And she was like, this is the best and now she's out and there's like lights and sounds and she's like, ah, this is horrible. And then you get to hold her and she looks at you like, what is this? Is this what life is going to be like? Just lights and sounds and it's loud and there are people everywhere and I'm gross and bloody and what is, what is happening? And you, you're 36 and you, you, can, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know what life is for her. And yeah, some of it is lights and sounds and gross things and it's all you know a lot of stuff and you can't change anything you can't give her advice none of that she'll forget all of this in a second but right now she's looking at you and she's like what will happen what is this life that I'm now going to have to do what is happening what would you say to teeny tiny baby you holy shit Sophie (laughs) This is like that moment in RuPaul where they bring out the child photo. And they're like, what would you say to the child version of you? <laughs> yeah, I came up I'm with the first. I'm going to start crying now. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I would say probably, oof, it's going to be tough. It's going to be, it's going to be a long ride. Um, it's going to feel really short, but it's going to be long. Um, but like, you have to realize that like, everything that you're going to come against is coming up against you because you have been born into this world and this world has not been created for someone like you. Um, and that is okay because you're going to fight against it. So don't worry, cry all you want because that's going to continue to happen. You're, you're a hell of a crier. Uh, but the positive thing is you are gonna fight and you're gonna keep fighting and it's all good honestly like fighting and like being an activist is so much more fun than just like going along with things so you're gonna have a good time you still need to be told that oh yeah 100 percent. do you want to say it back to me <laughs> just press play <laughs> i'll send it to you once a week <laughs> well that's the thing though isn't it because there's it's really I do all these kind of like talks I have these conversations and I say stuff out loud to people and it's almost like it's not affirming for them it's for me too because I forget constantly that like stuff I do is fun or important or interesting because I'm just like another spreadsheet or I have to write these meetings or whatever but like the outcome is amazing and I need to remind myself that yeah definitely well, it's the thing of being very comfortable with the with miser- with being very comfortable with being miserable, mm. and not really that familiar with just pure joy without concerns. Oh yeah, it's more fun yeah. being nervous about things because you sort of know that feeling. But as soon as yeah. it's about just being happy, you're like whoa, <laughs> then what? <laughs> What's yeah. the catch? That's so true. It's so true. Whenever something is like okay, I'm like, mm, how long though? I'm, I give it five <laughs> minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so so normal. So <laughs> plug your stuff. Where can people find your your little website? My little website. <laughs> uh go to burnroti.com uh and there'll be loads of articles and loads of other things that you can be part of. Uh through that you'll find Middle Middlesex Pride, which is embedded in the website, or you can go to middlesexpride.co.uk. Um or if you go on my, my personal website, SharonDallywell.com, uh there's more information there on Oakware Cupid and the stuff I've written and the talks I've done. Um and then on social media follow Burnt Ruddy Mag on all channels. Uh, on, if you want to follow my personal one, it's selfies and just like boring shit. Oh, well, gossip, apparently. Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> you can follow that at Petri Bojangles. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm now going to ask you some extra questions once you've said goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Do what you always do, which is to go and find Sharon on social media and thank her for doing the podcast because uh, I don't know. I, I like it. I like it when people get feedback like that. It it makes them um, regret having done it less. <laughs> uh, I will say two things. First of all, the next two or three episodes will come out fairly close to each other because I have, as you may have noticed, missed a lot this month. There's been, I mean, oh, I can't even... Within three months, I have moved house and gotten a dog and there's still a global pandemic and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, just the endless anxiety around money and and also I'm in intense trauma therapy and all that. So I I will I excuse it all with just my brain has been a nightmare, uh, but 
I will try and catch up before the end of the month so that you will have gotten uh, an average of one per week before December. So I'm sorry if it's clogging up your feet a bit, but I promise that it's just we're just catching up. So that's one thing you need to know. Uh, the second thing you need to know is there is there are going to be changes. And so what I think is happening is a slow, gentle rebranding. So you will probably see some differences in, uh, not yet in the actual interviews, but maybe some differences in the intros and outros. You might begin to see some differences in the way I write the titles and um, introduce the people. And I will do a proper, once I'm ready um, to do it properly, you know, once the the f I mean the last things that will happen will be probably maybe a change of title and um with that probably like a new logo just to sort of do a a, a big thing a big change uh, I won't delete old episodes uh, episodes and the actual conversations will be the same it will just be reframed a bit <clears throat> uh because oh, oh for many many reasons but uh, most importantly, I want to make the podcast more accessible to people who might not know me. This whole podcast was started because I really loved that I could have a thing that if you liked what I do, you could then also find this podcast and you would listen to it because, you know, you like my stuff, you, you like the conversations and you sort of feel like you know me and that's why it's never been an interview it's been you know a conversation because i also talk in the conversations and if you you know if, if you don't care about an, an interviewer then you don't want to to hear about them so but now we're oh what are we two three two four years in and 200 and God knows how many episodes in, and I feel like I have really understood what the podcast is. I, uh, I think I started out just interviewing or chatting to comedians. Now it's, it's just everyone, meaning that there's no longer a, what's the word? A specific audience who will, do you know, if it was just comedians, then I, everyone would recognize all the names because it would all be comedians. But there are listeners who listen because they like comedy. They'll know all the comedians, but they won't know all the activists and the fat activists and the campaigners and stuff. And then there's people listening because they're super into, you know, social justice and activism, but they might not know who the comedians are. And sometimes I'll have people on who are just not well known at all and i just find when i listen to uh to podcasts i i need and this is just me i'm, I'm also a, a, a bad at prop at listening to podcasts if it's something i don't know or if it's something that doesn't catch me uh it just feels like a lot of work to <laughs> to start listening to an episode even though i acknowledge they will probably be the best episodes in the world and i have uh, missed missed out but uh, so I, so what I want to do is I will, I want to change it so that when people see the name, the logo, and they see the titles of the episodes, they know what it is. At the moment, I don't think it's clear because, well, frankly, I couldn't 
tell you in a way that makes sense. I also want to make it more accessible for new, uh, for getting guests on, you know, a lot of the, I mean, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've asked, I mean, fairly big names to do the podcast and <laughs> in the background is now my dog snoring <clears throat> and they've gotten back with essentially an email saying some, what they actually mean is what on earth is it? <laughs> you know, it's not making sense. Me saying sort of about life and, you know, sort of like how you do, do deal, do deal things, do with deal things. They don't, it doesn't make sense to them. So with a proper title, with proper logo, with a proper sort of, this is what it is. I feel like things are going to, um, <laughs> I mean, can you hear my dog? snoring it's a lot isn't it <laughs> why is he tired i've done all the work today um so that that will happen but otherwise everything will stay exactly the same it'll just be a bit of a name name change frame change um details and stuff but the actual conversations will be the same the people i talk to will mainly be the same as well i mean not the same as i already have done but the same types of people so Sorry, that was a very long way of saying all of that. I did just want you to know because um, I feel like this episode will already be one of the first ones that look a bit a bit different. Maybe not, depending on depending on a lot. So, as always, if you want to support the podcast, if you ever f has, if you've ever gotten anything positive or anything educational or anything nice from the podcast uh, please do consider uh, donating to either patreon or through paypal all of the information you can find on madeofhumanpodcast.com oh god i'm gonna need to buy a new domain oh long oh, not not let's not think about that right now um and of course if you donate with five dollars or the equivalent in whatever currency you're in i believe it's four pounds something in the uk um, per episode um, for the whole month, then you will get your name read out loud at the end of the episode, which is now. And this is me having to attempt to pronounce your names. I am terribly sorry. I'm sorry. A huge thank you to these absolute VIPs, uh, incredible people. You are saving my life. Huge thank you to... Amy Malady, Andrea Carbo-Rogan, Andy Walker, Anna-Marie Hepburn, uh, Barry Norton, Beth Payton, Jerry Winter, Claire Fletcher, Daniel Reifersheet, Daniel Johnson, Deborah Cody, Say, Dieter Brunberg, Jensen, Emma Chen, Fenella Don, Privacy, Osaurus, Aurora Terrasabs, Galway Kaz, Georgia, Harold Van Dyke, Harry Minot, Helen Jeriner, Isabel Johnson, Joe, Joe C, Catherine Williams, Katie Hatfield, Katrina Pillerson, Kirsten E, Kirsten Davidson, Liz... Lindsay Boschniak, M. Dash, Maeve Hoolihan, Murray Fraser, Megan Roberts, Paul Swaddle, Pierre Fenne, Rachel Furley, Ragdoll, Rian Rivers, Robert Knowles, Robin Kapper, Ruth Flory, Samantha Kitson, Sarah Ellis, Sarah Plumer, Sheena Machette Cole, Simon James, Victoria Greer, Victoria Layton, and Zoe Stephenson. You are wonderful. I, and the dog's still snoring. Um, <laughs> I uh, want to say a massive thank you to Sharon for doing the podcast, to you for listening, to Dave Pickering for being an amazing person and for editing this episode, to Harriet Brain for writing and recording the jingle, and to, 
and to Justine McNichol for the logo. Uh, this podcast was produced by me. Speak to you very soon. Bye. Oh.